helping families be happy. Well, welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, the co-founder of Familius Publishing, husband, father of nine, author, fly fisherman, backpacker, and aspirational musician based in the Central Valley of California. We hope to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now, I'm happy to introduce today's guests. We're joined by Cynthia Klumick-Muchnick, as well as Jen Curtis. A little bit about both first. Cynthia is a graduate of Stanford University and has been working in education for the past 25 plus years as a former assistant director of college admission, high school teacher, educational consultant, and author of five other education-related books. She speaks professionally to parent, student, teacher, and business groups on topics such as study skills, the adolescent journey, college admission, and now the Parent Compass Movement. Jen Curtis, WSW, earned a BA from UCLA and WSW from USC, is an educational consultant and professional speaker. As owner of FutureWise Consulting, she has worked with hundreds of students on every aspect of the college admission process. She is particularly passionate about empowering teens to approach life with intention and educating parents about how to follow their parent compass. Both Cynthia and Jen are the authors of the familiar title, released in September 2020, The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. So welcome, Cynthia. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Great to have you here. What an interesting year we're having this 2020. You know, I think as I talk to parents, um, you know, top of mind for them is how do we navigate this school year with so much disruption, particularly as we're entering the fall with so much uncertainty? Please take a second and chat about that and help us. So I think if I had one thing that um, I wanted families to know and incorporate into um, their their home lives right now, I think structure um, is key. When kids of all ages know what to expect at home. Um, I think that they are better able to thrive. Um, I think as we look outside of the home and we look at the the world of college admission, which is what um, Cindy and my background is in, um, we all have heard about the changing landscape of college admission. Um, And I think there, I would encourage families almost a little bit different from what I'm encouraging at home, Um, ironically enough, I I think families need to be flexible. Um, You know, right now we are in the middle of summer. We still don't know where, for instance, testing is going to be this fall. Um, Tests keep getting canceled and um, and I'm I'm seeing a ton of frustration from families. Um, And so I would encourage families in that regard to be flexible in terms of their expectations, um, both of their children and um, of of the bigger college admission world, and um, to hold things lightly as they are moving forward. 
I think that's very helpful. I, I would imagine even expectations for themselves need to be managed. Right. Well, right. We have such high expectations for our children. Um, it's hard to remove ourselves from that. I, I happen to have nine children. I have a four in college right now. And uh, you want them to succeed. Um, you know, you, you talk about college rankings. And this book, let's make it clear. This book is not about how to get into college or even how to succeed in college. Maybe let's take a step back. Help us understand, what, what is it that you're trying to teach us with The Parent Compass? Um, the Parent Compass is really a book that is designed to help give parents a better toolbox and a better group of ideas and tips and strategies on how to help navigate their middle and high schoolers' experience, their teenage years that they're parenting, while simultaneously keeping their relationship intact. Those two are very difficult to reconcile. And so in this book, we uh, interviewed thought leaders, teachers, uh, headmasters of schools, people in the admissions field, school counselors, and even students to really wrap our head and our brain around understanding what were the things and the tangible steps that families could take to help their teens and also release their teens into the real world or college or whatever might come next um, while still having a relationship, a positive relationship. And so it was that task that we set out to accomplish. And actually with COVID-19 emerging, a book like this is probably even more topical um, more than ever to sort of help right the ship and, you know, keep us on a direct path to, um, you know, to comfort between, between our teens and ourselves. Yeah, and as parents, I think we need that. You know, again, I, um, I found that my children have come prepackaged. Um, they, they are who they are and their personalities uh, seem to have been there before they, they were even born. And um, I like what you say, but you quote uh, in your introduction, adolescence is a period of rapid changes. Between the ages of 13 and 17, a parent can age as much as 20 years. I, I read that and I think, well, I must be 200 years old by now with <laughs> things that, that I've had to go through. Um, as parents, how important is it for us to, to direct uh, and, and uh, not control, but really influence a child's educational experience um, compared to letting them pursue their own passions and maybe stepping back and watching that? We, part of, part, I would say kind of the main um, idea behind our book had, had been these observations that we've been making over time that uh, um, of parent behavior. And a lot of it was um, a lot of the negative behavior that we had been observing over time were those parents who were pushing, pushing, pushing and not allowing their children to explore for themselves. Um, you know, we were talking the other day that there is so much value in exploration and in, and, and in trying out those things that aren't right for you and, and where that leads um, a student in their development. Um, and so the um, many of the, you know, discussions that we have in the book are about helping your student figure out what it is that gets them excited 
and then um, helping them to explore those things in very meaningful ways, ways that are not there to fill up a, a college application, are not there to you know, check off all the 10 spaces in the activities section, but really are there for growth and enjoyment. Okay, so what I'm understanding is, is that college, college is not the destination. You're talking about a journey. So, and I think your book actually talks about that we should be embracing or praising the journey and not the destination. Could, could you give us some examples of what you mean by, you know, how to embrace their passions while making sure they're still working toward, you know, this, it's a competitive world out there. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Christopher. And when you said a little bit earlier that kids come in your estimation, prepackaged with certain things that just interest them and personality traits. And some come from you, some come from your spouse or bio their biological parents and others come from the way that what they're exposed to, which is our nurture. So that nature nurture is always pulling on us. But the journey portion, um, I think can really be best understood with some of the case studies and students that we discuss in our book that have been students of ours through the years and how we've seen things kind of pan out. So um, there could be students that are definitely laser focused, kids that just know from a young age, prepackaged, what it is they want and they want to achieve and go for and, and whether that's academics or whether that's a hobby or a passion that's there. And then there are others that, you know, benefit from the various ways that we expose them or maybe interested in lots of things and are, are more well-rounded. I guess. So um, in trying to understand why the journey itself is so important, and I think it's only something that parents can look back on, because we all had a chance to reach certain destinations in our lives. And now through looking at our children, we're helping them reach their own destinations, but exploring so much more along the way. And I agree with Jen that that exploration and that ability to appreciate what it is that makes your child tick and supporting that is tends to be what's much more important. Um, celebrating, for example, um, you know, a B or even a C for a student can be something that really took a lot to earn, whereas a B might be a disappointment to another student. And we all know as parents, each of our kids are different. So not comparing them to one another and appreciating each of them for kind of who they are and what they bring to the table and helping, you know, helping be not a manager, but um, something that we kind of use from one of our thought leaders, Mike Riera, being more of a consultant along the way, being someone who can, you know, bounce ideas off our kids, but not micromanage and determine all the things we want them to do. Um, you know, and, and they talk about how students at a certain time in their middle school years sort of fire us as the manager and rehire us as a consultant. And, um, you know, kids are ready to have us be more their consultants. I think that's, I think that's a great uh, analogy, looking at it as a consultant. I would add that as parents, we have an opportunity to be a broker as well, to provide and help them get the resources that they need to do that exploration and lead toward their goals. So now let's talk about goals. Your book references goals. Uh, I'm a very uh, destination-oriented person, a very goal-oriented person. So the journey is always a struggle for me. How can we as parents um, help them develop smart goals and help them then achieve them? And what's that, how does that relate to their educational experience? Yeah, so, so stepping back for a second, what in, in, in the chapter where we talk a lot about um, the destination um, versus the journey, one of our, our big um, 
points is that in doing so, we are facilitating grit and we're facilitating resilience. Um, and we are hopefully taking the stigma out of failure because I think, um, you know, when we're focusing on that destination, we are, uh, we are putting stock into, um, into the end game. And, and then when a student doesn't get there, um, what are, what do they naturally think about themselves that they failed? And then they become, um, fear of, they become uh, fearful of failure um, and, and don't want to really strive to achieve those big goals. And so I think that that lends to our conversation about goals. Um, I personally do goal setting with my students at the beginning of every single year. Um, and I find that most of my students have never sat down and actually really thought out what it is that they want to achieve. They've never put pen to paper and they've never thought through the um, objectives or the, the steps that are going to take them to those goals. Um, and I think when they do that, um, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, a lot of kids will start the process of being a little bit shaky, but then they get to goal number two, let alone goal number three, and they really start to get excited about the possibility of working toward that goal. You can literally see it in their face. Um, and so goal setting is something that I incorporate not only in my practice, but also in my family. My, my girls set goals every day. They're, you know, they're little more, um, you know, smaller goals, but um, I really want to teach them intention. Um, and that, that's, that's the reason behind um, why I personally think it's so important. And we teach our parents in the book those steps, how to do that goal setting themselves at home so that it doesn't have to be me or Jen or someone working through that, parents can have those same conversations in very unintimidating ways that we, you know, try to teach in the book. This is interesting. Your, your book talks about that we should, we, we should help our, our children treat school like a job. And, and most people don't like that three-letter word. Yeah, um, it's an interesting, um, it's funny, it's an interesting mantra that I have um, really coined for many, many, many years, um, working with teens and even work raising my own teens, that um, school, certainly the, the word job can imply something that's kind of drudgery that you may not like going to do every day, because sometimes students look to their parents, and maybe if their parents aren't happy with whatever their employment is, whether it's physical employment in a space or managing a home or whatever the employment level might be. But um, the way that we try to frame treating school like a job, it really comes down to a very simple um, kind of formula, I guess you could call it, which is if students wake up each day and they have something that they're kind of required to do, um, which, you know, there's the, there's the famous expression of, you know, making your bed every day. But in addition, just getting through your day of school and your activities and your homework, and you have all these different bosses at school who are your teachers, and just like in the real world, you're getting this training ground at school where these teachers are people that you do need to please and do the work that they ask you to do. And so we always tell students, if you can figure out um, what a teacher wants, the way they want it, and give it back to them that way, doesn't mean you can't disagree. But if you can figure out these basics of how to perform or how to do what it is a teacher wants you to do, then you're going to be very successful in your job. Uh, just like working with teams or people in a career or reporting to a boss, the tricky part for students is they have multiple bosses to answer to, six or seven or eight teachers or coaches. 
that they're answering to who may all have different styles and different ways that they want the students to do their work. So, um, so waking up and knowing that this is a job that you are kind of required and have the privilege of doing every day. Um, now it may be more of a virtual job than an in-person job, but regardless of that, there's a job that is your job to do while your parents are doing their job to allow you to continue to do your job. So um, we just think it's a helpful way to keep in the back of your mind the idea of, of school as a job that can be very fulfilling and very frustrating at times and full of ups and downs, just like in the real world. But um, in the end, if you give your job your best, it's sort of what you put in is what you get out. And there are you know, ways that we tangibly talk about in the book how to be successful in that job that we call school. I think that's a wonderful way to frame it. Um, you know, what a great opportunity to learn the skills that help people be accountable. Um, so, I mean, in, in, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I hire many people and I love those that can come in um, and, be, and hold themselves accountable. Uh, we, we, we say that you have to be a self-starting, communicative, responsible problem solver. And, and that's what people all want to see. Um, let's, let's talk about um, this college application. You know, we, we want our children to succeed. We want them to have the best educational experience. Um, how important is it to pay attention to college rankings and, and how to and, and be involved in the college application process? Uh, to touch on rankings first, um, we take the position in the book that um, rankings can be easily manipulated. And in fact, there are um, instances in the past that have reached the um, national news where that's happened. Um, and I think it's important for families to know what is behind the rankings. Why is one school number five and another one number 50? And are they really appreciably different um, in terms of the learning outcomes? Um, so I think that that's the biggest thing that we want families to know is that there's no place in those rankings for um, measurement of student engagement or, or even outcomes relative to, um, to student debt or how they can think critically um, or, um, you know, how much hands-on experience they got. Um, so we kind of go into all the considerations um, to think about when you're considering rankings. I, we gave an example of, you know, one student once who came in and put down on, on my desk um, this list of rankings of the best schools for the, her particular major. And um, she said that her mom had insisted that she needs to apply to every one of these schools that they had highlighted. And the funny thing was, is that it was for graduate programs. And <laughs> this girl was in 11th grade. Um, and so I, I think families just assume that they are kind of like the end all and the be all. And we really encourage families to be looking at what is the right fit for your student. And so moving to the application process, um, we encourage parents to, um, to step back, to put more of the onus on their kids to be um, in the research process. It's during that research process. And of course, right now, college visits are all virtual, but it's in those, those visits and the exploration of the campuses that students start to get really excited. And so if the parents are taking that uh, research process away from the kids, um, then the kids can't really get excited and they're just going to be hooked on to the name that they've heard of this, this school or that school that they've heard of. Um, but they don't know about this group of schools over here that, um, 
that could provide them an even better learning experience based on um, who they are and, and the type of campus that they would thrive on. Um, so I think that's, that's the main message that we're trying to get across there. I would probably also add, Christopher, um, that um, parents need to understand that where their child ends up in one of 4,000 colleges, really, I mean, they're, you know, over 3,000 four-year colleges and another thousand two-year colleges in rough numbers, that where they end up um, is not a reflection in some way on the parents and their self-worth. I mean, it's parents tend to want to parade around, you know, their kids and their successes and they're measuring their kids, you know, against the name of a school that they see on a list that they never have visited. And um, I just, I love the proud parents who, you know, sport the sweatshirts of the schools maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, or the parents who have the conversations with their kids before decision letters can come out to say to them that, you know, it, it's okay. We don't expect you to get in all these places. We just want you to be happy somewhere. And all of these colleges are self, you know, full service. Every college offers pretty much every major. It's just in a different setting, in a different environment, in a different kind of space. So to really keep it um, as stress-free as possible um, and not focused on the name and more on just the fact that there's going to be a great place or multiple places where your kid will be really happy. And you will celebrate wherever those places may be. You know, I had a conversation with a student yesterday, just to t piggyback on that, um, where I, I, I brought up the fact that the, the research actually shows that it's not where you go, it's what you do. Um, and I think it's so important for parents to keep that in mind during their child's college search process. It's not where you go, it's what you do. What, what, maybe our children, maybe they don't want to go to college. Maybe, is, is that so bad? Is there an, are, there, are there alternative routes for them to pursue education or skill sets? Uh, we have dedicated an entire chapter of the book, actually our final chapter, to other choices that students make. And um, while maybe a generation ago, the idea of a gap year or a break from going off to college or not going to college altogether might have indicated a student who wasn't ready to be out in the real world or who didn't do so well in high school. It was a little bit taboo maybe a generation ago. Now, gap year programs are all over the place um, and, and going virtual as well. <laughs> so for students to take a pause, that's an op certainly an option. Some students want to go into apprenticeships and actually learn a craft or um, you know a skill that may not they may not be able to learn in a traditional four-year college um, other students join the military or the workforce right away and then go back to school later some pursue community college um, for a variety of reasons for cost effectiveness to stay home and help their families um, financially to also get general ed requirements out of the way and also sometimes to help them achieve a different kind of college than they might have gotten into right out of high school. So I don't think anyone anymore, at least in this generation, and Jen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, finds anything wrong with taking an alternative route. Um, some of the most celebrated names in our business world um, haven't completed college, have been dropouts, or have not gone to college altogether. So I know that probably in the scheme of kind of what looks normal or how it's supposed to be, 
parents might think, oh, well, of course my kid's going to go to college. That's what every parent is sort of, you know, grooming their kid to do in their course of their life. Eventually that's sort of that destination. But that destination is proving not to necessarily have to be the be all end all. There's a lot of other ways to go about um, gaining an education. Well, we thank you, uh, Jen and, and Cynthia, for, for joining us today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you share your time with us. So let's make sure you're, you're, the, you're the authors of many books, but the, this one is The Parent Compass, your teens, navigating your teen's wellness and academic journey in today's competitive world. Where can our listeners find you? The, the listeners can find us um, at a variety of places. They can obviously purchase our book starting in September through um, familias.com, also through their local independent bookstores, um, through uh, Amazon, Workman Publishing, um, and other um, you know online locations, Barnes and Noble, things like that. But to find us and follow us, we have a few places. We have a website called parentcompassbook.com. We have Twitter is at Parent Compass One. Our Instagram is at Parent Compass. Our Facebook is The Parent Compass. And our LinkedIn is Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. But you can also search The Parent Compass on LinkedIn. So we've got a lot of places where you can follow and find what we're up to. We are so excited to be um, you know, a part of this familiar family that is helping make families better and um, healthier um, and more communicative, all those things. And all of our goals, um, you know, seem to have been reached. So we've really enjoyed this partnership and, and look forward to um, all that the book is able to do to help, you know, families be better and um, get along better and preserve the relationships with those amazing kids that we've all created. <laughs> thank you. Well, as we conclude today's podcast, uh, I'd like to thank Familias Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left a review on iTunes and social media. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Familias Publishing. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. We talk together, learn together, play, work, eat together, we laugh together.